Let us pray. Holy God, on this night, we ask that you would grant us the same gift you gave to those shepherds outside of Bethlehem, that we would hear good news of great joy for us and for all people, that we would hear your word speaking to us, your word that tonight sleeps in the manger. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So if you were with us during Advent last year, you know that one of my favorite holiday traditions is watching Christmas movies. We had that whole sermon series last year about Christmas movies. Remember, we talked about Home Alone, The Grinch, National Lampoon's Family Vacation, Christmas Vacation. The fact that this church let me preach on that movie is a testament to you all. And of course, we talked about the now classic movie, Elf. But there is one movie that I love to watch during this time of year that it's debatable about whether or not it's a Christmas movie. And no, it's not Die Hard. (laughs) But it is the 2006 movie Children of Men. Children of Men came out on Christmas Day in 2006. It is uh, based off of the novel of the same name. It is one of those rare instances where I think the movie is better than the novel itself. So... Children of Men takes place in the now not-so-distant future of 2027. And so as the movie begins, we come face-to-face with a dystopian future. Humankind has suddenly and inexplicably lost the ability to reproduce. No child has been born anywhere in the world in 18 years. And so in the face of the extinction of the human race, humankind falls into despair and hopelessness. The world falls into chaos. There are threats of nuclear war and pandemics that have caused the collapse of almost all of the world's nations, despite the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom is the last remaining nation on earth, and this is where the movie takes place. You know, most people in this imagined world have simply continued on with their lives as they normally have. They go to restaurants and coffee shops, they get married, they listen to music, they go to movie theaters. But sort of always looming in the background is the end of the human race. With no one left in the world under the age of 18, schools are abandoned and left to decay. There are no need for maternity wards and hospitals. Rust and dilapidation overtake playgrounds that were once bustling with the laughing and playing and joy of children. It is, admittedly, a bleak portrayal of life on earth, a dismal vision of an imagined future. A world without children is a world without hope. A world without children is numb and joyless and colorless. A world without children descends into chaos. And so the UK, driven by fear as the last remaining society on earth, has become an autocratic police state, Despite their zero-tolerance policy on immigration or the acceptance of refugees, still people from all of the failed states of the world come flooding across the UK's borders seeking security and safety. But the government systematically rounds them up and sends them back to wherever they had come from. But some of the immigrants and refugees fight back. They form a militant group known as the Fishes, which engages in this constant war with the UK government. So in this bleak sort of world, we find our main character, a man named Theo. Uh, Theo is a former activist, someone who used to try to make the world a better place, 
But now, in response to his own personal tragedy and the impending end of the world, has decided to live the rest of his life as a government bureaucrat. I can think of nothing else that says, I'm giving up, than spending your life working as a government bureaucrat. So at some point in the movie, he's kidnapped by the fishes, that militant group. And this is where he meets a woman named Key, a refugee who finds herself suddenly and inexplicably pregnant. The first pregnancy in the world anywhere in 18 years. And so it becomes Theo's mission throughout the rest of the movie to get Key to a place where she can give birth to this child, to a place called the Human Project, a group of scientists that are working to address the infertility crisis that has befallen humanity. They face their own harrowing journey, Theo helping Key, who is pregnant with a child who is not his own. At the end of the movie, they end up in a refugee camp, which, thanks to the constant fighting between the military and the militants, has become a war zone. And this is where Key goes into labor. And this is where the first child anywhere in the world in 18 years is born. She is born in a war zone. The sounds of war heard in the background. As Key and Theo now have to navigate this war zone with a newborn to try and get to where they need to go, they they find themselves in a bombed-out building that becomes the site of an intense firefight between the fishes and the UK government. Gunfire is going all around them as Key cradles this newborn in her arms. As they try to escape the building, they pass by both militants and soldiers alike, and each one of them slowly starts to lower their weapons at the sight of the child. Each one of them stops, kind of in awe and wondering at the child. It is an incredibly powerful scene. A little baby, only a few hours old, able to get these warring factions to stop fighting for just a moment, to be within feet of each other, soldiers kneeling and crossing themselves. You can almost see it that as the the baby passes by, the the soldiers who had been stuck in this state of despair, looks like they were almost in a coma, the hope and the feeling begins to emerge back on their faces. The camera then pans out, and the air that was once filled with gunfire, bomb and bombs, is now filled only with the sounds of a crying child. The world stops to behold this child, the first child born anywhere in the world in 18 years. The world stops and stands in awe of her. Now, it may not be the most Christmassy of movies out there, like you're not going to find it on the Hallmark Channel later tonight if that's something you're into. There's no small town baker and a big city lawyer trying to fall in love, right? You all know. (laughs) What's that from the peanut gallery? (laughs) But even still, it is to me the perfect representation of what happens tonight. The whole world stops. We stop, we awe, we wonder at a child. We behold a child who is sleeping in a manger. The movie is, at times, bleak, 
But it reminds us that Christ is born, as Isaiah says, for those who walk in deep darkness. And for those who have found themselves dwelling in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. That Jesus, the child who is born tonight, is born to Mary and Joseph, a young teenage mother and a father who has agreed to raise this child, even though it is not his own. Mary and Joseph, people who have really no status in the world, people who live beneath the oppressive heel of an empire, an empire that controlled their very lives, that, that journey that they have to undertake is because the, the emperor demanded that they go to their ancestral hometowns so that he could better tax them, to squeeze them for every penny they have. He was born not in the safety and the comfort of a maternity ward, but in a barn. He was born there because his poor parents, scared out of their minds, could find no other place for him to be born. They had no baby registry in a crib that they carefully assembled together. They had none of the creature comforts that are available to us. All they had was each other, a manger, and something to swaddle him in. Mary and Joseph, before they even get a chance to, to get their bearings as new parents, will find themselves on the run, refugees in Egypt because Herod threatens the life of the child. This child who is born tonight is not visited by presidents or prime ministers, senators or diplomats or anyone of power. He will be visited by lowly shepherds as they are out in their fields late one night. He's watched over tonight by donkeys and camels and sheep. This is the child who causes us to pause, to stop, to wonder and to awe tonight. We stop at the manger and there is a profound silence that accompanies this night. A silence that is unlike any other time of year. We pause and we behold Jesus, the child sleeping in the manger. It is the pause of Christmas Eve that I have come to appreciate in recent years. It's not just that churches like ours are who are gathered together for worship that are paused tonight. It seems like the whole world pauses on Christmas Eve. The whole world is filled with the most profound silence. There's a calm everywhere that is unlike any other time of year. One of the things that I've learned to look forward to the most as an ordained pastor is that drive home after Christmas Eve services. For me, it has become one of the most spiritual moments of the year. Every, almost every store and restaurant is dark. There are very few cars on the road. That nine-minute drive from the church to my house is a profound pause. All of the noise and the commotion that normally accompanies our lives, it stops as we behold Jesus sleeping in the manger. In just a little bit, we're going to experience another profound pause as we light the candles and sing Silent Night together. There's nothing quite like that moment, is there? I know that for many of you, that is the moment where Christmas is experienced in all of its power, wonder, and glory, the singing of Silent Night by candlelight. And I know that we make jokes sometimes. I know I've made the joke at least that, well, if there was a baby, it was anything but a silent night, right? But one of the things I've experienced at the birth of both of my children is that even when there's the crying of a baby, silence is not just the absence of noise. It's a sense of peace and calm 
all the restlessness kind of balances out. We pause here tonight. We, we pause and we, we hear the songs of the angels proclaiming good news of great joy for all people. And maybe for a moment the clouds of despair and darkness that we experience in our own lives, maybe they, they break apart in that moment. We pause and we sit with Mary as she treasures this night in her new mother heart, as she goes to, to check on Jesus to make sure that he's still breathing the way that new parents do. And as we go with her, we see that the same breath that was filling Jesus' lungs fills ours as well. That divine breath, that image-bearing creation. We sit with Joseph tonight, and as he had anxiously made that journey, praying that Mary wouldn't go into labor. And now all of that anxiety, all of that striving is interrupted. We pause tonight and we hear the excitement and the voices of the shepherds as they announce what they had experienced on that hillside outside of Bethlehem. All is quiet. All is calm tonight. Everything stops. Everything is on pause. Because that's what babies do for us, isn't it? They get us to stop. They captivate our attention. There's a reason why when a new baby comes over to your house or when a new baby crosses the threshold of the church that there's always a crowd. We'll drop and stop whatever we're doing to come and to behold the baby. Babies fill us with a sense of what is possible. I remember the first time I held my, my two children, there was this profound sense of love that I still have a really hard time describing. And anyone who's had a child knows that experience, that experience of love. Babies can give us a sense of peace in an often chaotic world. Babies get us to dreaming. They make us stop and imagine what the world could and should look like. This is, I think, what makes that scene from Children of Men so powerful for me, that you can see it. You can see the hope. You can see the love. You can see the peace. You can see the new possibility for the world ready to emerge in that moment. You can see it. The weapons of war will stay silent forever. You can see the holding of a child will bring the end of global chaos. You can see reconciliation ready to happen between the divergent factions of the world. That's what makes Christmas so beautiful. We pause and we can see it. We can feel it. We can feel it deep in our own souls. We peer into the manger and we see good news of great joy that isn't just for us, but it's for everyone. We peer into the manger and we are filled with bursting with hope. We see Jesus swaddled in the hay and we feel that powerful presence of God's love. We see it and we think, how could we ever go back to whatever we were doing before this moment? This is the moment that changes the world for the better. I feel it when I watch the movie Children of Men. I see the possibility. I'm ready for the happy ending to be written. And just as I'm ready for all of that to be true, a bomb goes off and Key and Theo have to flee the scene. And the fighting between the soldiers and the militants resumes. Every time I watch that scene, I'm left dumbfounded. How could they go back to fighting? Didn't they have the hope? Didn't they feel the love? Couldn't they see the new way forward? How could they go back to violence and hatred in that moment? The child that could change the world was right there in front of them, 
all of the longings of their hearts was right there in front of them. But then it strikes me, isn't that kind of how Christmas seems to go all the time? That we catch a glimpse of peace, hope, love, and joy on Christmas Eve. We have our momentary pause, our beautiful silence. Everything is quiet now. The storefronts are dark. The roads are empty. But Christmas doesn't last forever. The pause will end. Stores will open. The roads will once again be filled with cars. The presents will be opened and the decorations will go back in the box. And life seems to always return back to normal. Back to whatever we were doing before we beheld the child's. And so I'm left with a question every single Christmas. What is the effect of Christ's birth? What difference does he make for us and for our world? Because the Christian claim is that the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, is an axiomatic moment in world history. It is a paradigm shift. It is the moment where God is born in our world. But it seems to me that God's paradigm-shifting moments are always rather weak. Like God could really have used a risk assessment manager on the divine council. Because God takes a tremendous risk in coming into the world as a baby. The risk is that Christmas happens and nothing changes. The risk is that the world stops in sentimental sweetness. But then that's the end of it. God seems rather reckless to me sometimes. A baby born in a remote outpost of the most powerful empire in the world, that's your plan, God? That's the moment where everything changes? That plan, to me, is as vulnerable as the baby who sleeps in the manger. But God's plans, as risky as they are, always have this beautiful possibility, this beautiful potential contained within them. Because God knows that the birth of a baby gets us to stop. That the birth of a baby can be the moment where the world changes. But God's plans and God's possibilities always involve us. They always invite us. That the effect of Christ's birth depends on us who hear the song of the angels. It depends on those of us who are asked if there is room for Mary and Joseph. It depends on us who kneel at the manger tonight. Because the Christmas story is not just a story of a long time ago, but it's one that's happening here and now. Christ is born again every Christmas here tonight. My wife Heather asked me recently if I had a favorite Christmas carol, and honestly, I'm not sure which one was my favorite. It depends on the year. It changes from year to year. Um, But this year, I think I would name my favorite one to be O Little Town of Bethlehem. And I've been especially captivated by that line, be born in us today. Be born in us today. It is to me somewhat like a prayer. Be born in us today, not somewhere far away, but be born in our own hearts, in our own communities, and in our own lives. And we pause, not because he was born, but because he is born here and now in our world and in us. And his birth changes the world through us as we kneel, pause, wonder, and awe tonight. His birth changes the world wherever the light shines into the darkness. 
He is born in us whenever we become the beacon of light, shining out for those who are still walking in valleys of deep darkness. Wherever we can offer hope to those who are in despair, Christ is born in us. It is my prayer tonight that Christ be born in us so that we can make room for those who, like Mary and Joseph, are searching for their place, for those who have no place to belong, for those that nobody loves or notices, that they would experience the warmth of God's embrace. Let Christ be born in us as we welcome the Prince of Peace, whose way is peace. Let him inspire us to forgiveness and reconciliation, to bring healing to all that wounds and divides us from each other. May Christ be born in us so that we, like the shepherds, can receive good news of great joy for all people, especially for those for whom this night is not a pause, for the hungry, the poor, the destitute, and the struggling. May Christ be born in us tonight for them. He is born for you and me tonight so that we might know the breadth and the width and the depth of God's tremendous love. He is born so that we might risk love, a risk that is always worth taking. Tonight, we take it all in. We sit in the stillness and the quiet. All is calm, all is bright. We stand in awe at the manger. We pause and we wonder. And as we pause and as we wonder, may Christ be born in us so that when the world unpauses, when it's time to leave the manger, that we might hold tight in our own hearts this night, that we might share good news of great joy with all people, that we might be the incarnation of love for somebody else, that we might make room for Mary and Joseph as they are still searching for their place in this world, that we might bring light wherever there is darkness and despair. As the credits roll in Children of Men, the sound of children fills the screen. The sounds of hope and possibility. It's because a child can change the world. And a child does change the world in and through us. We pause, we awe, we wonder tonight at the child who sleeps in the manger. And may the world be a more loving, peaceful, and just place, because we did. Thanks be to God. Amen.